Pod. Pod. I want to talk about fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's yeah, I think it's relevant. Havlicek stole the pod, and the Celtics stole a win in Philadelphia. The best win of the season? I don't know. Put him in the spin cycle. You know, these are the kinds of fireworks we thought we'd yeah. see coming into the game. Simmons here. A little hesitation to dribble there. They're supposed to switch and easy then. Here's a great finish. Oh, boy. Go up high. Oh, the bench likes it. I, I tell you what. Morris's comments must have worked because the bench seemed to be yeah. enjoying Tatum's success on that possession. I'm Bobby Manning. Chris Grenham is with me as he is every weekend. This is the Celtics Blog Podcast. Havlicek stole the pod. What's up, uh, Bobby? Hey, Chris. Happy Wednesday. The week's moving fast. Tonight. Almost at the All-Star break, man. Tonight's the All-Star break. And I'll, I'll say this, Chris. It's going to remind us how much we miss basketball when it's gone because all these games are flying through. We're like, oh, yep. geez, there's a game every other night. And then once it's gone, you're like, ah, I wish it was back. Yeah. Make you appreciate it. But, I mean, it'd be nice to close out this uh, this first half with a win. That was obviously a pretty nice win in Philadelphia last night. I mean, a classic grinded out, no Kyrie win. Uh, it was a... It was a slugfest. Tom Westerholm a Mass Live. Shout out Tom Westerholm. Phrased it as a slugfest. And that's exactly what it was. And it was good to see the Celtics win a really tight game like this. You know, they might at times bother people by letting opponents hang around. But they're good in these tight games, man. It makes you feel good that Horford can take those bruises still against Embiid, even with yeah. the new spacing and lineups that Philadelphia throws at you. That was the scariest thing about that. It makes you feel good that Marcus Smart can dunk like that. and He dunked off one foot. It was insane. I haven't seen him do that, like, ever. I've, I've never seen him dunk off one foot, but it was awesome. And the best part about that was he just absolutely torched Ben Simmons on the perimeter on that play. I don't, I don't think, think anybody was expecting him to drive the way he did. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think Ben Simmons was expecting that quick of a first step, but he just saw... <laughs> The paint wide open, and he took off. He took advantage of it. The many surprises are smart this year, but the play of the night, and we'll see, is that the play of the season, that Tatum dunk coming from the baseline, going 180, not 360, but 180 halfway there, and just completely throwing it down in one fluid motion. That was... Ooh, that was like up there with the LeBron dunk almost. You know, you still get on put ben the LeBron Simmons dunk. Too. He was on <laughs> Ben Simmons. I mean, that was that was pretty that was pretty remarkable. I mean, he was great. I I think another big thing to focus on was Gordon Hayward. Oh, brilliant. obviously, he was great. He twenty eight minutes. He was eight for eleven, six for seven from three. That ties his career high. He had twenty six points, four boards, three assists. He just he was, looked comfortable and confident. I mean, he's been improving. He's been taking steps forward for the last couple weeks. But, I mean, he looked really good last night. He was shooting off. He was he was hitting shots off the dribble, off the catch and shoot. He was in rhythm, in transition, knocking down shots. I mean, he was, he was really, really good. And especially in a game without Kyrie, that's huge for the Celtics to be able to turn to him and not necessarily rely on him to score, you know, 26 points every night, but to be that reliant and efficient guy on the offensive side. Methodical in the scoring game. Yeah. Picked up four rebounds and 
every shot he hit felt like a big one, especially that one that Smart took in transition and flew over to him in that left corner wing area. That was a big one because Horford had his worst turnover of the season. I don't know how the Sixers didn't score off of it. They get the ball right back, and Smart pushed a nice transition run right there. One of the big moments in the game. And they made big plays up and down this game. Horford had a big stop on Embiid in the post late in the game. Um, I thought Brad Wanamaker came in and played some nice minutes. The way he stripped Simmons when he was getting posted up there. They just made big plays in this game up and down. Held a small lead throughout it. They were playing a one-possession game for pretty much two whole quarters. And I'd argue most impressive win of the year. No Irving. Philadelphia loaded up to beat you. And you yeah. still came away with a win on the road. And Chris, 21 of 24 against Philadelphia. Can you talk about being in a team's head at this point? It's something else. And you thought maybe it changes as they reshape the roster. It was the same story. I mean, a lot of it, in my opinion, has to come down to that Horford and Bede matchup. Like, so much of Philly's offense and overall game runs through Joel Embiid. And he's great. Don't get me wrong. But... God, Al Horford just dominates him on both sides of the ball. His interior defense, the way Horford can stretch the floor and kind of pull and beat away from the basket, really screws up what the Sixers have going. And the Sixers are a really good team. They have a really, really good lineup. But that matchup makes a huge, huge difference. He cannot he cannot function against Al Horford. And it's kind of similar to like Giannis Adetokounmpo has had trouble with Al Horford too. And it's in the same vein where he's able to just simply take them out of their normal game, pull them away from the hoop a little bit, make them a little bit uncomfortable. And that makes all the difference. So if I'm Philly or a Philly fan, I watched last night's matchup and you're like, you know, it doesn't look like a whole lot has changed because it, a lot of it does come down to that matchup. Now Philly on paper is, Probably the best team on, again, on paper, probably the best team in the East. Mm, I don't think they are the best team. On paper, I think they definitely are. I think the Bucks are the best team in the East. But it's interesting. Watching that last night, I still didn't like their offensive flow, despite what they have on paper. I mean, this is a couple games in since they got Tobias Harris, Mike Scott, Jonathan Simmons. So they're still integrating these guys in here. But... I still don't like their flow. I don't like their their depth or lack thereof. The flow I just was don't... odd. The flow the was flow was odd. weird. I, I thought even though it was a close game down the stretch, I thought the Celtics played a much better game from top to bottom than Philly last night. I don't know. It just their offense still kind of rubs me the wrong way. It and, did. It did. And I don't. And I don't think the people they brought in really helps helps their depth all that much. Yeah, Simmons was. Solid, 15 minutes, two for two. Boban gave them a good few minutes early on. That was kind of weird, him playing. I don't really expect him to play 10 minutes all that much, right? Well, they they certainly want to get him in a grade early on, and I think yeah. Brown had said something to that effect, that they're going to let this guy run the rest of the season to see if they can integrate him into the rotation. But he, he ended up fouling. Hayward threw him in some switches, and they got some shots up over him stepping back, yeah. and they, they yeah, effectively he had, like, took what him he had, out like, of the game. He had like three fouls in 10 minutes or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so they, they were able to effectively take him out of the game. I didn't notice Mike Scott a whole lot. He played 14 minutes and didn't do too much. And they oddly weren't able to get Butler the ball until later in this game, which hurt them a ton too. And I, What was your impression of Harris seeing him for the first time? Because we were both pretty scared last episode about him arriving yeah, in Philadelphia. I, 
I mean, it was more Detroit Pistons Tobias Harris last night than Los Angeles Clippers Tobias Harris. I mean, Harris is a really good player who kind of thrives off of his efficiency. That's how he makes teams and offenses better is because he's a really efficient scorer. Last night, he was just pretty off. He was, let's see, he was four for 14. He was 0 for 6 from three. I think a lot of that just has to do with Boston's defense. I mean, it's not stuff you can really see in the box score, but you watch the game, they're disruptive. And a lot of the the ways that Tobias Harris works is he has some great off-ball movement. They feed him the ball, and he benefits by creating his own space. The Celtics did a really good job, Gordon Hayward specifically, of clogging those passing lanes last night. So I think it prevented him from getting in those nice, comfortable you know, elbow threes where he's got you know four to five feet just for himself. I think they limited that space. They clogged up the passing lanes, and that just disrupted everything. And I think Tobias Harris is the main example of that. Four for 14, you know, he rarely goes 0 for 6 from 3. So that was in 34 minutes. He just wasn't that comfortable. I thought Redick was pretty unsettled along the perimeter. I mean, a lot of Gordon Hayward's effectiveness last night came on the defensive side of the ball, too. Of course, he was phenomenal on offense, but he was really, really good with Marcus Smart along the perimeter defending Philly's backcourt and Philly's guards and forwards. I mean, Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart as well were just so, so good. So I think that perimeter defense was huge, and I think that kind of helped to take Tobias Harris out of the game. This was certainly a defensive win, and they set a tone with that first quarter. Philly just yeah. could not get in a rhythm in that first quarter. I think they scored 21 points out of the gate. So after they come out and whoop the Lakers the way they did, that was important to set that tone in this one. And Embiid... Still, I don't know if there's a conditioning problem there. It's probably tough at his size to be 100% in shape to run 38, 40 minutes the way they do with him. But at, toward the end of the game, he was settling for a ton of threes. It seemed like yeah. Orford wore him down, and that impacted Philly's offense late. He hit a few, but still, that's not a shot I love him taking. And weird enough, he still starts his post-ups from 15, 20 feet, which yeah. which signals to the defense that this guy's coming at you. He never passed out of it in this game. No, he. yeah, I agree. And then there was that play where he grabbed the offensive rebound off a Harris miss three late in the game, and they needed three with two seconds left. And he, he just went back decided up. to put it up and in. And Yeah, he said that was on him. He called himself a – he basically called himself an idiot after the game. <laughs> His, uh, but you're right. He goes into those post-ups so early. And the Celtics, more so than, in my opinion, basically any other team in the league are so good at defending the post. And especially in an Embiid-Horford situation where Hor- Embiid's not going to win that matchup, you know, seven, eight times out of ten. That one-on-one defense from Horford against Embiid is so good. And then you add in Marcus Smart's defensive IQ. I, I mean— it, it almost, once he goes into that post, the perimeter defense with guys like Rozier, Smart, and Horford lock up so then Embiid doesn't have anywhere to kick out. They can't free up their shooters. And then it's just Horford and Embiid, and we all know how that ends. So it, that defensive effort, man, I mean, the Celtics were awesome, and they had fun. Important out of this game, Celtics 3-0 and against Philly this year. They'll have the tiebreaker, and these two teams are indeed tied for the four seed at this very moment. For me, it's not really about the loss, but the attitudes that we're playing with. You know, guys are you know, hanging their heads. It's, it's just doesn't, it's not fun. You know, it's not fun. We're not competing at a high level. You know, even though we're winning, it's just still not, it's just not fun. You know, I don't, I don't see the joy in the game. I watch all these other teams going and leaving guys up on the bench, they're jumping on the court, they're doing all you know, other stuff.
stuff that just look like it, they enjoy, you know, their teammates' success, they're enjoying everything, they're playing together and they're playing to win. And when I look at us, they just see a bunch of individuals. Did last night look fun to you, Chris, after those two L.A. losses? Because the cheesesteak cheese after was certainly fun. Was the game fun? The game was fun. I saw Marcus Morris high-stepping on the sidelines after a three-pointer last night. He looked like he was having fun. I mean, he, he didn't really totally back off, but he kind of backed off that statement. He was basically like it was, you know, more so the last week because the last like a week in the NBA feels like a month or a couple weeks. So he kind of backed off a little bit, but he's right. I mean, it's not fun when you're blowing a 28 point lead. Brad Stevens on Monday at practice said that he's like, yeah, it's not, Hey man, that was awesome. No, it sucks. It's terrible. So it's not fun. But when you're playing together, like they were last night, when you're beating the Sixers, it's fun. And they look to be having fun. They look loose. You could tell, like you mentioned before, their first quarter was they had so much energy and they came out of the gate so hot. I think that just set the right tone right off the bat. The defense uh, was phenomenal as well in terms of energy. The bench was great in the actual game, but like the actual bench, the guys on the bench stood, I swear to God, for like the entire second half. I'm not sure if that was just to make a point to everyone that they were into it and having fun, but I think they were having fun, man. And it get capped, it gets capped off, like you said, with some cheesesteaks from Marcus Morris himself. So I think that is uh, that, of course, is fun. So Chris can confirm it was a fun victory. The Lakers game <laughs> was where this stemmed from. Uh, not the Lakers game, the Clippers game. Clippers, where they blow yeah. the 28-point lead. I don't even have a word for how bad that loss was. It just won, and Irving went down, which made it even worse in that one. But horrific effort. It, yeah. Blowing that lead. Now they built the lead early enough where you say that that's one that can be surmounted. It was the, that lead developed in about the second quarter, I want to say. Yep. And they just let Harold walk to the rim again and again, and it just all collapsed from there. They were able to get outside shots off, and it was ugly. It was ugly. It's one loss, but it was ugly. And they say it's the largest comeback in the NBA in the past two seasons and the largest comeback in Clippers history. Largest blown lead by the Celtics since 2003. I think it just comes back to energy. I mean, like we've, you know, touched on a bunch of times about that Philly game last night. The energy was great against the Clippers. Even when the Celtics were up by 28, their energy was not there. It was just a, a low Saturday night game where it was late and the Clippers are kind of trying to tank, but they had some energy and the Celtics were winning by a lot and hitting shots, but they were going through the motions. And then the second half hit and the Clippers came out with energy. Doc Rivers said it after the game. They made an adjustment. They said, we have no takeaways. We haven't had the Celtics turn the ball over once. So led by Pat Beverly, they came out energy at the forefront and they were just specifically Montrez Harrell and Pat Beverly were just in the face of every Celtic on the court. And that changed things because the Celtics, again, didn't respond with any energy and they collapsed. They completely collapsed. They were settling for those long twos. They were settling for their own ISO ball and a lot of really, really poor shots. And I think that's kind of what Morris hinted at. It's not about getting shots. It's about, you know, he phrased it as rooting for each other's success, but it's about spreading the ball around and, and having that energy and, the energy in last night's Philadelphia win is exactly what the Celtics were looking for desperately in that second half against the Clippers. The Clippers had it. The Celtics didn't. But last night was a really, really nice bounce back win with them kind of almost backed into a corner. 
And Landry Shamit, if we're talking about that Philly trade still, Ooh. he impressed me in that win. He was a big one for the for, for the Clippers in that game. Hit four big threes. Was a massive part of that comeback stretch. I'll, I'll say this though. As horrific as it was, it's still just one blip on the radar yeah. over the past few weeks since that horrific road trip to Miami. Let me let me ask you something. Let me ask, so obviously this team's been playing pretty well, right? I mean they they won ten out ten out of eleven before losing those two, and this has been described by many as a roller coaster season, which is spot on. It has been just that. So they go through these win streaks, these ten out of eleven, or you know the eight straight earlier in the year. And then they turn around and they lose three out of four or they lose these two in a row, that sort of thing. And it seems like whenever they do that and they lose those two in a row or those three out of four or whatever it may be, it kind of blows up. Whether it's a comment in the locker room or the fans on Twitter or the media around the team in I, I don't know, but it seems like it just blows up to a crazy extent. These are all things that happen over the course of an NBA season teams go through ebbs and flows over the course of 82 games why do you think this is happening like this do you think it's the expectations that were set at the beginning of the year kind of combined with the pressure of that what do you where's your where's your fault for this why is this happening well i want to throw in what steven said after the lakers game i believe it was about this being on him and these adjustments because he acknowledged that noise and this team seems to acknowledge the noise a lot too when they lose these games they get down on themselves a lot guys step up in the locker room and make these big declarations about how much better they need to be i think that i need to look at myself first and figure out what i can do to help that not happen if that means we need to play different rotations call different um, things you know start differently in quarters than we are you know whatever the case may be i um, there's an answer out there, and we have to find it. So I love Morris saying, this is a championship team. We can be a team of this caliber. All the rest. Because it's true. This team still, in, this, in their position, despite their early struggles, looks to me like one that could be an NBA Finals team. So he's pushing them to that next level. But Stevens, I mean, it's just one, two losses, and he's really getting down on himself. He's saying we need to make some adjustments. He's saying we got to search for some things. When meanwhile, they had just beaten the Thunder in one of their best wins of the season, hung with the Warriors. They took care of business against the Cavs twice, Hawks. There were no bad losses to bad teams since that stretch against Orlando and Miami. They've been taking care of business. And meanwhile, Irving's been banged up through this whole stretch. So... Certainly the team's going to hold themselves to a high standard, but they also have to realize, and fans have to realize too, this team is a far stretch from the one that was losing the bad teams early in the season. Oh my gosh, yeah. They're consistently above 110 points at this point. They're climbing up the standings. Certainly the expectations weigh into this when it both comes to fans and the players themselves, because they've certainly heard the noise from the earliest get-go this year. But... They also got to realize that they have made massive strides this year. You want to continue to push the envelope because the East is looking tough, tougher mm-hmm. than ever at this point. But I think those two games made so much noise, only being two games because of how that Lakers game ended and then how that flowed into the Clippers. And then, of course, Doc Rivers is involved. It was the biggest blown lead in forever, as we said. <laughs> So yeah, those two things right, were shocking. Ben. And how yeah. about that play that ended the Lakers game? What a fluky play. That was wild. That was wild. And, I mean, you knew 
that that shot was going in. Oh, when the ball yeah. landed, yeah, I was watching it. I was watching it and being there. It was like the second the ball fumbled over to Rajon Rondo and he, he grabbed it, it was just a collective Gra- uh, gasp in the arena is like oh boy it like, bounced this off one. about three guys but look at what the lakers have done and i just heard uh, someone on espn say it's going to be tough for that team to make the playoffs now you want to talk about a team that hasn't been able to get themselves going this year they're still in that position and they had expectations going in so there are certainly worse situations in the nba to be in your wizards i hate to throw that in again hey, let, not- please, <laughs> let's talk about the lakers instead let's talk about the lakers instead yeah the Lakers the Lakers are in a bad spot the the Wizards are in a spot of their own we <laughs> need a three-hour really dark and sad podcast to talk about that so we so won't get it how are you feeling about the team at this point I mean I was down on them too early on the way they've played race recently makes me think they could make a win run at the one seed uh, there's bio talks out there do you think the team needs to make an addition now that they've dropped Jabari Bird yeah, I mean, they definitely will make an addition at some point just because it can help them potentially get a leg up in the Anthony Davis deal this summer because of the salary matching benefit yeah. bring on. Again, it's tough because whoever they bring in is going to is not going to play a lot, but they're also going to be most likely on a 2-year deal with that mid-level exception. So that's not appealing to guys like Ennis Cantor or Robin Lopez. Like none of those guys are going to come in because they can't play. Um, but I do see them making a pickup at some point. It's probably not going to be any big name. It's probably going to be someone that a lot of people haven't really heard of, but it could help them in the summer for salary matching. So yeah, I do see that happening. Um, and in terms of my feelings on the team, I, I liked where they were heading before these two LA losses. I obviously loved watching them beat the Sixers last night. I thought they were great. I'm not, those two LA losses don't concern me to a massive level. Obviously they weren't good, but I think I'm pretty confident in them getting in the top three. I would say, um, I don't see them taking the one of the two seed. I think Milwaukee and Toronto have kind of locked those up. I don't see anyone grabbing those from them. You never know, but I could see the Celtics grabbing that three seed, um, which would be ideal, but I don't know. Milwaukee and Toronto just seem like they're standings wise above and beyond. The the Bucks don't really concern me in a playoff series just because of the way they match up with the Celtics. I think the Celtics similar to the way they match up with the Sixers really have, have the upper hand there. I mean, Giannis is so good, so anything could happen there. And they brought in Miritich, which really, really helps with their floor spacing. And that was their main deficiency last season. But I don't know. I just would I would trust the Celtics in a seven game series over Milwaukee and definitely, definitely over Philadelphia at this point. Rapid fire news around the league before we get out of here. Isaiah Thomas might play tonight and yeah. against Sacramento. He's questionable for the first time all year. Raptors add Marcus All and Jeremy Lin at the deadline. Do those scare you, Chris? Uh yeah, not necessarily as much as everyone is saying. I think people don't realize where Marcus All is and in his career. It's not the biggest upgrade over Valanciunas, so that doesn't really push them that much higher in my book a little too far over the hill for me Lynn as well past injury we'll see their second unit's gonna be key to their success and finally thoughts on Simmons and the Lakers that whole situation tampering around the Lakers continues that to be a hot topic in this league 
scheduled tweet. It's a scheduled tweet. We got to do it a couple times a year. Lakers tampering Magic Johnson talking to stars around the league. I don't know. I think it's stupid because the NBA is never going to approach it with them, even though it's blatant tampering that's been going on for quite a while there. Magic is going to magic, man. That's just that's just what he does. Amazing Magic would do it so soon after the Davis stuff. I'm Bobby Manning. That's Chris Grenham. We'll see you during the All-Star break, and it's a good time to mix in a guest here. We might hear from the Celtics blog staff. We might yeah, hear from someone it. else around the team. Let's do it, Chris. Yeah.